Family, it's good to see you today. We're glad that you're here. I want to join in welcoming you. If you've got your Bible or your device, uh, you may want to keep it open to Luke chapter 24. That'll serve as our main text this morning as we study. I want you to imagine what it might have been like had there been footage of inside that sealed tomb. Obviously it's dark and it's going to be quiet and it's sealed off because it's being guarded by soldiers. But most of all, there's a body in that tomb and that body has been wrapped and that that body is lifeless. But then something happens. Did that lifeless body, did it, did it begin to, to slowly kind of warm up and come back to life? Was it all instantaneous where the, the, Jesus, the God, the Son, the Spirit re-enters the body and immediately He's out of the tomb? And I wonder as all of that is going on, I wonder if God the Son in that moment had some dread about re-entering that body one more time, even though this time it would be temporary. Jesus is alive. He's won the victory over death. God's plan to deal with our sin problem through the the death, the burial, the resurrection of of His Son, it's been carried out. And so now there's this good news story that's going to need to be told. That's why we've been studying the story. We started all the way back in September, and it culminates here. The message, the idea, you may have some doubts today, but see, for those of us who are Christians, the decision that we've made is when there is a guy who's murdered and he's dead and he's in a tomb, and that guy comes back to life, that's the guy that I'm going to listen to. That's the guy that I'm going to follow. When we're Christians, that's why we're following this guy. He overcame death. But see, not everybody in that day is going to be quick to believe and not everybody in that day is going to be quick to understand. And so on the first day of the week, we we have an empty tomb, but we're about to have some very confused people. These women that, that we just read about here in the beginning of Luke 24, these women who'd followed Jesus out of Galilee, these were women who were close to Him. Mary Magdalene is named in some passages. Mary the mother of James, Salome, Joanna, possibly some other ladies. They had witnessed the body of Jesus being placed in that tomb on Friday. They'd seen it happen. Luke 23 verse 55 talks about what they had witnessed. And so after the burial, they've prepared spices, they're going to anoint the body, they've rested on the Sabbath, and now on the first day of the week, very early, about dawn, they arrive and they've got some concerns. There's a stone, they know the tomb is sealed, and they're wondering, how are we going to get in there? But they arrive and the stone is removed, and will it be emotional as as they're going to go in? Well, it would have been emotional. For Jews, that wasn't uncommon to check on a body for those first days after death. There were some accounts where they thought somebody had passed, and of course they hadn't embalmed the body, and the, the person actually was still alive. And so it wasn't uncommon to check on a body. Now, they knew Jesus was dead. They knew He was dead when He came off the cross. But their arrival in Luke chapter 24 verse 4, it's, it's described, they're perplexed. Uh, in verse 5, the description is they are terrified because they find an open tomb, but they find no body. There there are a couple of men there in in these dazzling clothing. They realize these are not ordinary men. These angels that are there, uh, they communicate that Jesus 
is risen. And as they begin to say, Jesus is risen, these women, they begin to remember some of the things that Jesus had said while He was still alive. Talking about how He would be delivered up and talking about how He would be killed, but talking about how He would be raised. They, they, they begin to remember. And so they go find the eleven. And they communicate what's gone on. And so for the eleven, for the inner circle, when these ladies get back and say, we, we've been to the tomb, it's empty, angels there are telling us that Jesus is alive, the reaction of the eleven, what would it be? What should it be? Would you expect it to be joy? Yes. Would you expect it to be elation? Yes. Would you expect it to be confidence in God? Yes. But it's not. Verse 11 says these words appeared to them as nonsense. This is the 11. The, the apostles appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. And so then Peter's the one. He goes to the tomb and he looks inside. And as you read the text there, you get the idea in verse 12. He's not completely convinced. He's marveling at all that has gone on. But he goes home. And so we get... The next 30 to 40 days, we've got Jesus alive. And Jesus is going to be appearing to some people along the way. And as He appears to people and as He interacts with people, they're not always going to recognize Him. They're not always going to know that it's Him. And so we get this, this scenario immediately here in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. Uh, behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. And so on that same day, two disciples are making this seven-mile journey down to Emmaus. It's Cloopus and an, another unnamed disciple... And they're discussing everything that's going on. They're handling this just like we would. Anytime there's something terrifying, or there's something amazing, or there's something horrific, or there's something unexplainable, as we interact with each other, we talk about things like that. And so as they're making this journey, they're talking about everything that's gone on. And Jesus joins up with them, but they're prevented from recognizing that it's Jesus. They don't know it's Him. And so Jesus shows up and He's like, what are you guys talking about? And, and as they're walking, the text says that they actually come to a stop. And you can picture this happening. They stop, they wheel around, they look at Jesus like He's lost His mind. And, and their question is, do you not know? Are you the only one in this area who does not know everything that's just gone on? Now... The not recognizing Jesus, likely from what we can tell in Scripture, probably a supernatural thing. Over in Mark's account of the same incident, Mark 16 verse 12, the Bible there says that Jesus appeared to His disciples in a different form. God chooses to, to present Jesus in a way that they don't immediately recognize now, I've talked to some folks who believe that Jesus is in. Uh, he would be recognizable, but they're just so expecting not to see Him that they do not recognize Him. And that happens to us sometimes. You ever meet people out of context and you have trouble and you think, maybe I ought to know this person, but I'm not seeing them where I would normally see them. It happened to me last month down in Texas. I was at a congregation on a Wednesday night and as soon as Bible class ended, a guy in front of me, he wheels around and he begins a conversation with me and I immediately knew from what he was saying that I should know who he is and I cannot, cannot, cannot place him. And finally as the conversation goes on, I realize he was my co-worker at school for a little while. Just recently. 
But I, he was out of context and I didn't recognize him and he didn't work with us long and when he worked with us, he was in his office. I just didn't spend much time with him. So that happens, but I don't think that's what's happening here. God, in His wisdom and in His way, has prevented these disciples from recognizing Jesus. And it makes a lot of sense. Perhaps they wouldn't have been real with Jesus had they recognized Him. You know, sometimes that could have happened. Or it might have been had they recognized Him, they would have been so elated that they'd have never heard the message that Jesus was about to share with them. God knows why. We don't have to. But what a powerful, life-changing encounter. I want you to notice some of the ensuing dialogue that goes on. Notice Luke 24. I want to begin in verse 17. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early this morning and and did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Do you notice some of the misunderstanding? that these disciples have in verse 19 referring to Jesus as a prophet. And then in verse 21 as they're describing the scenario, uh, verse 21 says that we were hoping that it was He who would redeem Israel. The experience of the empty tomb should have resulted in Praise God. The experience of the empty tomb should have resulted in, hey, this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. But instead, it's, we don't understand. And see, Jesus' response to them, it's interesting. Notice His response beginning in verse 25. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter His glory? They don't know this is Jesus, but Jesus calls them foolish men. He calls them slow of heart to believe the prophets. Everything that they've spoken. There's significance in this. Don't miss it. These are disciples. It's not that the information about Jesus, it's not that the information wasn't available to them. It's not that the information about Jesus is something that they'd never heard before. They simply had not believed what they'd heard. Other hopes, hey, we're hoping this guy will will free Israel. And of course, they're thinking about freeing in a political sense. Other hopes had gotten in the way. 
through our study of the story, what we would say is that their, their lower story agenda, we want a king, we want a conqueror, we want a deliverer, their lower story agenda was competing against God's upper story plan. And because of that, they hadn't believed. And so the Bible says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. As I read that, it made me think obviously about then. But it also began to make me think about today. And it made me begin to think about if Jesus were to show up in 2016, and if Jesus were going to interact with us face to face as He's doing with His disciples here today in 2016, I wonder if there's anything that Jesus would decide that He might need to re-explain about Himself to us. Not to the world, but to us as Christians. I mean, keep in mind, these are disciples. These aren't... They're not Pharisee critics. They're not Roman soldiers. These are people who wanted Jesus to do something amazing for them. They'd been counting on Jesus to do something amazing for them, something they didn't think they could do for themselves. They misunderstood, but they believed in Him. And yet because of their slowness of heart to really understand Him, Jesus is having to retell His story from the Scripture, Scripture that they had access to. And so can you see why asking what might Jesus need to re-explain about Himself today, can you see why that's a pretty good question for us to consider? Would Jesus from time to time be able to make a similar assessment about us? Not necessarily collectively, but, but maybe more individually like's going on here. Perhaps as two friends interact. Perhaps it's Bradley and I and we're having a conversation together, two Christian brothers, and, and Jesus walks up and what might He choose to re-explain? Or maybe you as a husband and wife are here this morning and maybe it's you as husband and wife and Jesus walks up. Is there something He might need to re-explain? Or maybe... You're having a conversation with somebody who maybe at times you've been critical of. Maybe for whatever reason, maybe you've been at odds with a person a little bit. And, and we understand when, when things like this happen, sometimes when something terrifying has happened, it unites people who even have been at odds. So maybe I'm interacting with that person and I've had some conflict with this person. What might Jesus walk up and decide that He needs to re-explain about Himself in that moment? Another way to ask it, is it possible that my life looks like in some way that I'm still resisting Jesus because for whatever reason I've heard it, but, but I haven't, haven't lived it? And if I'm resisting, why might I be resisting? And so for these last few minutes, I just want us to think a little bit about what some of those things Jesus might re-explain. And you may think of some others as you think about your life, but I wonder what He might need to better help us understand about discipleship. You remember some of the things He said. Think about Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A pupil or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. I wonder sometimes whether instead of attempting to be like the teacher, do we ever treat Jesus the teacher? Like He ought to be happy to have us at whatever level we choose to commit. 
Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, that's hard. But the question is, are there people who hold a higher priority in my life than Jesus does? And Jesus says, I'm one of the people that I've got to be thinking about. Does my own life hold a higher priority for me than He does? And then there's the very next verse, verse 27 of Luke 14. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, a cross-bearer in that day, when you saw a cross-bearer, that was a dead man walking. And so the question is, have I died to self enough that, that I can live for Him? And then Luke 14, verse 33... So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The question there from that verse, does any of my stuff hold a higher priority for me in my life than Jesus does? And so would he, re- would he decide he needed to talk to me again about discipleship? Number two, would he decide that he needs to reteach to us his plea for unity? You remember John chapter 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do I obsess over the areas where I differ with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And do I ever make myself feel good about that by telling myself that I'm standing up for truth? Or do we who are brothers and sisters in Christ, do we unite over the crisis is that is people who are still lost, people who don't yet know Jesus, people who haven't yet heard the good news? Do we unite over that? Several years ago, I was asked to do some leadership material down in South Mississippi. And so in preparing for that, I I sent out some surveys to guys who are active in leading the church. I sent it out to elders, these guys who are doing the work of shepherds. And so as I asked questions and as I got survey data back over and over again from place after place and and person after person and small churches and middle-sized churches and large churches, the lament constantly from our leaders leaders was, hey, we spend an awful lot of time just trying to get our family to pull in the same direction together. And so are we, would would Jesus need to reteach that unity thing? And then finally, what might Jesus choose to re-explain about what it really means to love You remember Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God. This is the law you're answering Jesus as they're interacting. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus responds to the lawyer, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Could someone look at my life and learn a biblical lesson about love? I mean, that's the real question. We ask that about unity because when you go back to the John 17, Jesus says, hey, when you are united, the the fact that you're united, and he would talk in other places about love, when you're living that way, that is a sign to the world that, that people, they can see that you believe and that God did actually send a son into the world. It's important. 
And so could someone look at my life and learn this lesson about love? Love for God? For enemies? For family members? For church family members? For friends who need Jesus? If you missed it last Sunday night, I would challenge you to go back to the podcast and as Barry preached about uh, God's will, he spent a lot of time talking about love. Excellent stuff. Go back and listen to that. It's, it'll be worth your time, I can promise you. But see, I want to sum it up by, by see, asking, as you think about all these things, am I selfless enough to live out this empty tomb life that I'm called to live out? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. I'm living for Him. And so am I going to live that way? And again, all I'm trying to do this morning is to, as we celebrate an empty tomb, is to get us thinking about what does that mean for us in 2016? Because we touched on these areas. We could preach a series on on all these things and on many others. An interesting thing happens there in Luke 24 as we get back to the text, finishing up. As Jesus has gone in to eat with them and as He's broken the bread and they recognize Him and then He vanishes, they, they begin to discuss again the amazing thing that's just happened to them, these two disciples. And so in verse 32, the Bible says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while He was speaking to us on the road, while He was explaining the Scriptures to us? See, the truth about Jesus, it had ignited a fire within them. Even before they knew that it was actually Jesus speaking with them. So today, as we celebrate the empty tomb, our celebration should result in self-examination. And our self-examination should result in a fire being rekindled within us as well. A fire of gratitude for Jesus. For His sacrifice. For the relationship, the restoration with God that it makes possible for us. A relationship where we find grace and we find mercy. One where God loves us. Even when God looks at my life and I'm not loving others the way He knows that I ought to be, there's still grace and mercy there. And so that fire of gratitude should be burning within all of us. But then there also should be this fire of determination. A fire to be better. To live better. To not allow that empty tomb to be in vain as it relates to my life. Finally, if Jesus were going to interact with us and have a conversation with us today, I wonder if He might choose to spend some time re-explaining to us how amazing heaven is going to be. Because let's face it, life down here, sometimes we end up in some valleys and we end up with some days where everything going on around us, it it causes us to lose our, our focus on heaven. It causes us to have a hard time seeing how amazing it's going to be in eternity one day. And see, Jesus understood that even back during His ministry before the cross, talking to His disciples in John 14. These are very familiar words, but He said, "...do not let your heart be troubled." Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
See, the most amazing thing the empty tomb does is it makes it possible for us to be able to be with Him forever. When He comes back and He takes us home, it's the empty tomb that made that possible. And so the question is, are you planning to join Him there? We're going to sing, when we all get to heaven... Is that your overriding goal? Is as you live in your life here with the goal in mind that one day I'm going to be in heaven? If you're here today and for whatever reason you're not yet a Christian, are you ready today to be united with Him in the likeness of His death and His burial and His resurrection in baptism for the remission of your sins? Are you ready to take that step today, that first step? Maybe you're here today and you just need the prayers of your church family in some way. But as we sing the song, the song of affirmation, when we all get to heaven, if we can help you today, let it be known while we stand and while we sing. His grace in the mansions bright and blessed He'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory. Let